Welcome to episode 14 of the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer is Kwaku Ajimang, a.k.a. Kwaku On Air, a.k.a. Terra Squad. I don't mean T-E-R-R-O-R, Terror Squad. I mean Terra Squad. T-A-R-A. Yes, Kwaku has been nominated for two Terra Awards. Congratulations, sir. I think in a couple of weeks I'll be asking, you win the Terra? Goddamn, they gonna think I want a Terra. I'm not even gonna try that. Our guest today is Sam Demo. Sam is an alumni of Canada's Top 25 Under 25 Environmentalist Award. He's the co-founder of the social enterprise Pick Waste and a 19-year-old youth speaker. He's been recognized on national news. He's delivered a TED Talk. He's worked with brands such as A&W. And over the past two years, he has spoken to thousands of students across the country. He is a connector for the League of Innovators, the MC of Speaker Slam Youth, and the youngest member of an advanced Toastmasters club. From soccer to social impact, Sam is an example of what happens when young people follow their dreams with small, consistent actions. In this conversation, we talked about TED Talks, the art of, mental health, and just being young and what that feels like. We also talked about bouncing back, the education system, and spent quite a bit of time going through public speaking tips, tricks, strategies. It was a deeply insightful conversation that got me thinking about what it is that I'm really trying to do at Student Life Network and beyond. My friends, please give it up for Sam Demma. Sam Demma, I'm so excited to be chatting with you, brother. Dude, this, this is, is uh, like amazing. I'm excited. It's been a long time coming, man. And uh, we start off every podcast by bestowing our illustrious gifts with, I said, bestowing our illustrious gifts, geez, bestowing our illustrious guests with gifts. And for you, I pulled out the heavy guns. I got you the book that I've been reluctant to give anyone else. And I got this book from a mentor of mine, Greg Brown, who's going to be on the podcast later. But this is a before and after book, dude. This is Transformational Speaking by Gail Larson. Mm. There's not a lot of shortcuts in life. There's not a lot of cheat codes in life. But if there's anything remotely resemblant of a cheat code when it comes to speaking, it's this shit right here, man. It's a quick book. uh, But this will take you from how you're speaking right now to that next level that you're trying to cross into, man. And it is all yours, sir. Dude, thank you. No, I appreciate that. Shout out to Greg Brown. When he told me about this book, like his eyes lit up and I'm like, "This, this book sounds too good to be true. And then I started it one night, that same night that I got it, and I finished it like in one sitting. And I was just like, whoa, everything I know about speaking is wrong. Let's go back to the drawing board. And I haven't had a more successful quarter since. So I would love for you to turn to a page that I have bookmarked for you over there. I folded the top corner. <laughs> there we go. And if you could read principle number two for the audience. Mm. Principle number two, you are a hero on a journey and your journey defines your message. So let's start with Sam Demma's journey, because I want to understand how it is that you came to grace these TED stages, these keynote stages, travel across the country, and I think even around the world, if I'm not mistaken, to deliver your message. Let's try to understand where it came from. Am I correct in understanding that you used to be on track to be a professional soccer player? Absolutely. And it's funny, I'm just, I'm in my head right now because underneath that principle was Joseph Campbell's name. Mm -hmm. And last weekend, my mentor taught me the hero's journey. Yes. All 12 steps. So that was just funny that you chose that page. And let's work through it. Like, let's try to figure out, like, you you were you were in this place that we would call peacetime, right? Yeah. On track to become a soccer player, and then something happened that yeah. forced you to go into the world of the special unknown world. chaos, yeah. the special world. What happened exactly? Yeah, so let's go back. Yeah. I was 13 years old when I got the first big break in terms of an athlete, and that was to go to Italy for six months, living on my own in a college with a bunch of international players, and it blew my mind. Not because I signed a, 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 with a team or anything like that, but I was exposed to the professional culture. I saw how professional athletes in Italy were playing, training, living, eating together. Um, it's the same as a hockey player here in Canada. 
You want to be the best hockey player? Come to Canada, mm-hmm. right? And so seeing that opened my eyes. And I came back to Canada, 13 years old, before starting high school, realizing what I would have to do personally. It's on me. And I tried to recreate the culture all throughout high school, waking up early, um, going to bed late, practicing for hours. Um, I would train. I did cross country in high school. And besides academics and athletics, there was nothing else. Hmm. No extracurriculars, no clubs, nothing. Yeah, you were all in. All in. No parties, no drinking. Like, I didn't live the average teenager life. Uh, even Not even a relationship, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. which is something I look back upon now and kind of wish I did, um, but no regrets. Yeah. You know, I'm still 19. <laughs> you got time, brother. You got time. Yeah. So, not the average high school, but it was paying off because... All my time was being spent towards soccer. And so you put in, you get out, right? You reap what you sow. And in grade 12, I got offered a full-ride scholarship to Memphis University on condition uh, that they would see me play at a showcase. And if they liked again what they saw, they'd sign all the papers. They brought me on the official visit, which means they paid for the flight. They showed me the, the team, the coach, the athletics, the facilities, 55,000 students, wow. $8,000 a year. You want to go there if you're an international student, all paid. And it's like, the, this is like the golden ticket. They teed it up for you. Yeah. It's like the first step. Mm-hmm. You want to go pro? This is the first this step. This is it. Yeah. yeah. And every soccer player dreams of getting a full ride scholarship and let alone the free education you get with it. And so a week before that, the finding moment, which would be the showcase where they watch me play, I was playing in a friendly match with my team, meaning just me versus my own teammates. And it was about just before halftime, maybe the 43rd minute, I went shoulder to shoulder with my striker. His name was Zach. He's this big dude, not fat, but thick. Yeah. Played for TFC. <laughs> yeah. Just like, it's a powerhouse. <laughs> and we bumped shoulders. I, I'll go hard. I bumped him hard. And I caught myself. He caught himself. And right when I caught myself, I realized something happened in my left knee. No. I didn't think it was nothing bad. Um, I was in my head, obviously, the adrenaline's pumping. And for the next five minutes, I just ran around with some pains in my upper knee before deciding this is not okay. I got to get off the field. I walked off the field. It was the middle of winter. I knew it was so bad that I just walked out into the change rooms, out outside. Uh, it was like minus 10, snowing. I just started screaming. My coach ran outside. He's like, what, what the hell are you doing? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my head still. No one knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's not good. It's not good. And I went home that night, uh, didn't sleep much. Next morning, I told my parents my knee was like a volleyball. And I turned out. it turned out that I tore my meniscus. Oh, no. Yeah, left knee. Which, to be honest with you, is not the biggest injury. Like, compared to MCL, ACL, or major ligaments, it's not as bad. But the timing was the worst. Hmm. I missed the showcase. Oh, man. Uh, And to keep this story not too long, uh, keep it short, I ended up getting the surgery done, getting back on the field. Four months later, playing in a match, finished a slide tackle, stood up, started crying on the field. I knew second time, same thing. Same thing. Same Same injury, the meniscus. Same thing, yep. This time it was the medial side, not the lateral. Uh, went to the same doctor. He was like in disbelief, like, no way, man, you strengthened it. You look so good. Uh, but we're going to we're gonna need to go in again and operate. It's like, all right. And by that second knee surgery, my whole mentality shifted because to be honest with you, after the first one, it almost lit a fire under my ass mm-hmm. because I was already the underdog. I was never the most talented athlete, but I would work my ass off. And after having the injury, everyone looked at me and said, it's okay, Sam, don't worry about it. Like, it's okay. Just do something else. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, you don't know who I am. Like, right. this is, this is going to push me further. Uh-huh. I'm going to come back stronger than all these people. And then when I had the second surgery, the second injury, I came back and th- the whole narrative in my head changed from this fire under my ass to like getting poured with a bucket of water on my head. I felt like my fire was a st- like being extinguished. Totally extinguished. Yeah. yeah. Because 
the questions moved away from soccer and moved away to the future. And I started to think about things like, if I have this second and third knee injury, um, and I already had an existing hip issue that I still have today that requires surgery, if I operate on all these things before the age of 20, when I'm 35, will I be able to enjoy the necessities of life or the basic things that will bring me joy? Mm -hmm. Like having a family and walking down on the beach without a cane. Right. And so those questions started to play over my head. Um, but I still followed through with that second surgery. And the reason was is that I attached my personal worth and my, my identity and my self-esteem to soccer. Right. I felt as if if I didn't have soccer in my life, there was no Sam. All my friends were athletes. All my parents' friends were my soccer friends' parents. Um, everything I did was soccer, six days a week, seven days a week. I didn't party. I didn't have large friend group. So if there was no soccer, there was nothing. Wow, this is a uh, holy crap, man. I, I'm familiar with this story, but yeah. only in sound bites that I've seen online. But to hear it narrated as such uh, is absolutely harrowing because you're you're triggering my own experiences burning out, which are similar in that I tied up my identity with uh, an expression of output that I was valuable as a marketer, as a leader, as whatever. And when I couldn't be that anymore, I didn't know who I was without that. And it's come up in this podcast a couple of times. We've talked about the LeBron James quote where he says, I'm not a basketball player. I'm a guy who plays basketball. Mm -hmm. Like He figured it out. He's like, no, this thing doesn't define me. So whether or not I make it into the playoffs, I'm still LeBron James, family man, father, businessman, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. But in your case, right, in the ascent to becoming the Sam Demo that you are, you had to latch on to that identity of soccer player. Go all in, as we said. Yeah. And then once that was taken away from you, what did those moments look like where you were just infirmed in bed, mm -hmm. at home? Like, Talk to us about what those days were where you couldn't play soccer. Yeah, so they were exactly what you said, in bed. I didn't really Shit. do anything, man. Like, I love reading, so I would spend my time reading books, but for what? I didn't really have a purpose. Um, in fact, after my second knee surgery three, four weeks in, and I was just lying on my bed, and I just started bawling my eyes out. My family came in, they're like, what's wrong? So I was just like, it's not fair. It's not fair. 17 years of work, it's not fair. Mm -hmm. um, you started I, when you were? Like, really young. Like, yeah. three, four. Like, yeah. playing recreationally. Dude, probably in your mom's stomach, you were just, like, kicking shit around in there, too, man. Who knows, <laughs> yeah. man? Just headbutting her belly. <laughs> yeah, man. Just <laughs> some bruises when I was born. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... The second, I ended up having the second surgery though because of that identity crisis. Yeah. I couldn't let it go subconsciously and my ego was attached to it. Um, and so I followed through and I got back onto the field. I took a fifth year of high school, right. which was um, frowned upon not only by my family, but usually by everyone in society. Like, what are you waiting to get your life started? Mm -hmm. Go to school, get your degree. Mm -hmm. And um, I took the fifth year and I took it strategically at a gym. Because all my actions now had to be calculated. Yeah. Right? If I'm going to get this scholarship, I got to do everything properly. And so I would train in the morning and rehab with a team of physios for free in this gym that I got a co-op at. And I'd have to mop and do whatever else. But it was more about the athletic training and the rehab. And then at night, I would have practice in Vaughn. So I'd do like four hours, five hours a day. And I was like, if I do this for four months, unstoppable. Who's going to stop me? Mm -hmm. And then it's like life just like smack me in the face 17 years is coming to a screeching grinding halt yeah i wouldn't even know where to begin if today you came to me and said hey hamza you can't be a marketer anymore you can't write you can't mm -hmm. teach speak do any of the things that have become part of who i am i wouldn't even know how to begin re-engineering my life remapping it out like who who did you talk to what kind of processes did you have to engage in to figure out the path that you're on today yeah so 
real quick before I answer that, please. It's funny about the LeBron James thing you said because it's 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 easy to recognize that. I'm not basketball. I play basketball. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to say it, but if it actually happens to him, I'd love to see what would happen. You know what? Now that you say that, now that you say that, I I, I do think there is something to it because maybe you're seeing with what happened with the Lakers this year is a reflection of LeBron James not identifying as a basketball player. Mm. I think maybe mentally he checked out. And even though like LeBron James checking out, he will be better than anybody who's checked in. Um, but in order for him to play at the elite level that he wants to, I think he needed to mentally be all in. And he wasn't. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing to think about because I think everyone attaches their identity to something. And it's good to be conscious of it, right. like LeBron James said. Right. But at the end of the day, I think it's so hard to like just detach. Totally. Yeah. And I'd be, hypocr- I'd be a hypocrite if I said that. I didn't identify as a marketer, right? Yeah. I, I can't do my best work as a marketing professional if I'm not bought into it. Yeah. Um, I, this is another phrase that's come up in the podcast. It's been like, if you want to master something, you have to like it. You have to mm-hmm. genuinely enjoy it because if you don't, you're not going to do a lot of it. And if you don't do a lot of it, you're never going to get good at yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. And so... In terms of the the transition, I didn't really speak to anyone. It it actually came through a teacher I had, and it was like sheer luck. And I call it luck, but I don't believe in luck. Opportunity means preparation. Yeah, man. And so it's almost as if my role just was a transition. And I look back, and my mentor helped me analyze this. I was the leader on my team, the one who was always there early, always staying late, motivating everyone else. I went from soccer player to speaker. And a speaker is a, is a, it's a similar position. Not you're not an athlete, but you're motivating others. You're inspiring others. You're spreading wisdom like a like a captain on a team. Um, but how it happened was through a world issues class. So I was in my second semester of grade twelve. This is after my second knee surgery. Um, I was totally checked out of school, um, not doing well. Uh, and there was this one teacher, Michael Loudfoot, and the only reason I listened in his class is because of literally this book if you want to change the world tell a better story he told the best stories in class hmm. he told the best stories and not just like great stories but the way he told it he, the first day of grade 12 second semester he walked up in front of the class and he said don't believe anything i ever tell you <laughs> if something i say makes you curious i want you to go home and verify the facts yourself damn and that hit me so hard i was like that's my teacher. Yeah. He's telling me not to listen to him. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to go to a different school. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good teacher, man. Like, yeah, he's teaching don't me. take me for face value. Don't take me at face value here. I mean, do your own investigation into this and seek your own knowledge. Yeah, he's teaching you like, here's how to think, not right. what you should think. I'll present you with some ideas yeah. and wrestle with them and try to take them away and come back and challenge them. Exactly. So from that first day, I was already engaged. And then what ended up happening was his passion kept coming through. The rest of the semester, he would get up in front of us and he would scream, um, like literally, who has the power? <laughs> People would be shopping on their laptops. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and my eyes are open and I'm just watching. Yeah. This is insane. And uh, his passion just rubbed off on me. The same way, you know, you watch a motivational video and sure. just feel the energy. It was, it was like, perfect. It was like the right message for the right student at the right time. Like yeah. You were primed to receive that message. And like you said, there were other students in the class who were on shopping online yeah. on Amazon doing their thing. Shout out to Amazon Prime, right? <laughs> big sponsor of uh, a Student Life Network, one of our big, biggest brand partners. Nice. But you were attuned, laptop closed, cell phone off, keyed in yeah. to what was being said. Yeah. And now you began this transformational journey that, has, that is seeing you go across the country 
uh, speaking to, to multiple, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of young people. Uh, what are the key messages that you share when you're doing these talks? Yeah, so I didn't get to it, but what came from that class was a lesson that he taught. And so it's, it's almost as if it's not even mine, but my teacher's that's been graciously given to me. And what it was was he broke down the lives of figures in history this one day in class to try and prove to us that although they were all different people, they all had different genders, they were all of different ages, different passions and purposes, they all had their nuances, but there was one thing that was common among them all that allowed them to do such huge things. And that, 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 that common thing, if we chose to embody it or if anyone chooses to embody it, they can also do massive things, whether it be changing your life or changing the lives of other people. And when I asked my teacher and everyone was like, what is it, sir? What is it? And he said, they all took small, consistent actions huh. that led to these massive changes. It's thousands of small actions at, at the beginning that lead to a massive change. Everyone sees the March on Washington. No one sees the thousands of lectures, the thousands of handwritten letters, the thousands sure. of phone calls. Petitions. Yeah, being signed so many, so many things. And of course, there's a tipping point somewhere, but it's the thousands of small actions that started off. And when he framed it like that, in my head, I was like, change is tangible. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I felt as a young person, I could actually do something besides soccer. I don't have to be soccer Sam, like my email address. Soccer Sam. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, so that lesson like sprung me on a journey of testing his theory. And what I did was pick up trash walking home from school, which will go down a little later in the podcast, what ended up happening. But from that class and from my experiences over the next year and a half, uh, I derived a big message, and it's the small actions can make a massive difference. And from that, I crafted a keynote. And the three, key, the three key points are small action leads to a massive change. The second point is that if I could go back to his class, I would change one thing, and it was the actual formula. I would rewrite it to say it's a small, consistent action compounded over an extended period of time that makes a massive difference because people just give up too early. How do you that man? This is this is so fascinating, and like I think philosophically, small consistent actions and ideas into action are very much linked. In fact, one might be a precursor to another. I don't know which one. Uh, at the heart of the ideas into action philosophy is we call it daily imperative action, small things that you do every single day. Uh, but I'm curious to know from from your experience, how do you how do you know when the action isn't the right action? So let's say you know I'll give I'll use myself as an example over here. I've been doing the same workout for the last five years, man. I have not seen any benefit beyond just the ritual of going to the gym and feeling the endorphin rush. But as far as bodies are concerned, like there's been no dramatic transformation. How can I use your philosophy of uh, small consistent actions to gauge whether or not that small consistent action is the right action or not? Mm. I think it's different for everyone. I'll explain how I do it. Yeah. Um, I, I heavily rely on my gut. Uh, for a lot of the decisions I make and I feel like we all have a voice that tells us like a lot of the time When we're doing something that we should be or we're doing something we shouldn't we've just been Conditioned to be really good at suppressing it hmm. And that's the reason why I took a break from studying <laughs> school and a lot of other d choices that I've made It's it's just like reflection at the end of the day You look in the mirror and you're like did I do the things that I needed to do not what I should have done not other people's opinions the things I needed to do um, and that, that kind of question will, first of all, bring the truth up and you have to have that truthful conversation with yourself. But in terms of the small actions portion of it, I would say, are you doing something uncomfortable? 
the small action that's uncomfortable because it, it sounds like you're doing the same workout for five years. Yeah, dude, I'm, it's def- definitely a very comfortable <laughs> workout, man. So you know what? Actually having this conversation with you out loud and just saying this to another person is making me realize that the small consistent action I've taken is was the right one at one point, but is no longer the right one given that uh, you know I haven't honestly confronted why it is that this is happening. Yeah, and I, I think too- I became lazy, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. <straight> up, yeah. <laughs> you got you to think of an uncomfortable small action. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, man. You well, you wrote over here in a blog post, you wrote the first reason was something known as social proof. And you use that to describe why it is that you exited from the education system. And dude, you dropped that blog post and I saw the instant responses. You were you know, you know, quoting people on Twitter. You were sharing things on Instagram that were people just- in shock, but in a good way, being like, whoa, Sam, I had no idea that you dropped out. Why did you drop out? Like, what was the specific reason? You alluded to it just now, but like, what was that moment where you said, yeah, this isn't it? Mm-hmm. So the actual moment was October 14th. Okay. But I knew school wasn't for me in the summertime before I even started. Huh. And the reason why I went was a mixture of different things. One I mentioned was social proof, this idea that human beings base their decisions or their behaviors off of what they see the majority of other people doing. For example, if you're in a line and everyone's on their cell phone, you're going to pull out your cell phone sure. subconsciously. Yeah. And so you see this path already ingrained in life where kids, mass mass amounts of kids all go to university yeah. at the same High time. High school through post-secondary yeah. to their dream job and get in a relationship, yeah. start a family. Like, like the offense. treadmill, right? Yeah. Big offense. There's, there's a treadmill that exists in yeah. the collective mind. Interesting. So yeah. you were on this treadmill from high school yeah. through post-secondary. And everyone really is, yeah. unless you're conscious of it. And I wasn't. And so the first reason I went to school was that I saw everyone else around me doing it right? The social proof piece. I thought, oh, this is the correct thing to do. But it's just based on what you see everyone else doing. Sure. And that really forced me to go along with the opinions of others. And I use the word should, which is the second reason why I was in school. Um, I have a mentor. His name's Alvin Brown. Shout out to Alvin Brown. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll go and do like sit down sessions with him and he'll pull out a notebook. And while we're talking, he just writes down words. He doesn't write down like advice or anything, just words. And at the end of our conversation, he'll say, Sam, you said the word I want to be, but you already are. You need to change your language. You're tricking your brain. He'd say things like, whenever I say the word should, he said, why? Why? No, you have to change that with I want to, right? And you have to take, be careful of the word need and, and, all, and like all these words. He's very focused on words because you change your words, you change your world, change your life. Yeah. And so the word should got me hung up and like literally pushed me into being in school. Yeah. Uh, Sam should be doing this. Sam should be doing that. Yeah. Versus. Or an 18 year old kid should, Mm -hmm. which is the society version. Exactly. But I had mentors who I also looked up to who said, the degree is still valuable and you should get it. Right. Should get it. Should get it. Yeah. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, oh, I look up to these dudes, like they're right. And then that tied in with seeing everyone else doing it. It just, it forced me in and I was there. And so the tipping point, which you asked where it kind of went haywire and totally, I totally decided I had to go, was October 14th, sitting at home. I wrote, I wrote about this in my blog post, and I was writing a 10-page report <clears throat> on DDT, which is like mosquito repellent. I thought you were talking about wrestling for a second. I got <laughs> happy, man. Okay, mosquito repellent, just as cool, though. Yeah, yeah, really cool. <laughs> Don't get bit. <laughs> and so I opened my laptop, and I'm going on JSTOR and searching up academic journals. Sure. And I, got, I, got, I found like 15. And then I opened my Word document to start writing the research. I didn't, I didn't even write a word. Um, and I sat there for three hours and I just asked myself, is this what Sam needs to be doing and wants to be doing, not what he should be doing? 
And after like two, three hours, I already knew I had to call my parents and it was just like a waiting game. I had to gain the confidence and courage to do it. And I grabbed my phone, called them, immediately started crying. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. And my parents were like, can't do what? Can't do what, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, can't, I can't be in school. Huh. And the main reason was this burning feeling in my gut and this voice that kept saying, <clears throat> you're not supposed to be here right now. You should not. You should not be in school. But this is like my gut. This is not someone else's exterior opinions. This is how I felt. And I followed it. I just followed it out of school. And it was the most fulfilling decision I ever made. Um, and I would never, ever, ever regret it. I won't, I'll never regret it. Um, because I've been, the, I've been the most enthusiastic about my life. And I feel like everyone should wake up and, and be excited yeah, man. about what they're doing. And so... That was really what pushed me out of school. I, I love that, man. And uh, you know what? For anyone listening to this who, who might be disagreeing with the premise of dropping out of school, um, I'll challenge the listeners by saying this. I think that the education system in its current form is far from perfect. I think that one of the biggest mistakes we make is we hold students back who feel ready to graduate. Kwaku and I have talked about this at length. Like Kwaku's been ready to graduate for like two or three years now, man. It's just like, so what? what is Kwaku doing here? Like why is Kwaku still paying to keep himself incurring this opportunity cost when he can easily go out there right now and charge top industry dollar? Mm -hmm. I knew I was ready like years before you were ready. I think that the colleges and universities and fuck it, even the high school should get to a place where they see that if a student is confident and willing to leave, they should facilitate a way to leave mm -hmm. and earn the paperwork in a... Uh, unorthodox way. I don't know. I don't, I'm just thinking out loud over here. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this, especially my student affairs friends and colleagues who um, might challenge that and say that there's benefits that come from staying and subjecting yourself to the academic rigor. But here's the thing in your case, dude, if you stayed back and wrote that paper on DDT, there'd be another paper about DDT. There'd be essays and things that you would have to do that would prevent you from being in front of the students who need to hear your message. Yeah. And so the quote that I was trying to find earlier before I went off on this little rant over here, sorry, is Pablo Picasso who said that the purpose, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. Mm. So if you already found your gift, why not just drop out and start giving that gift away? Yeah. And no. you did it. There's two reasons why I left school. One was the gut and then the second one's two-part answer. There's a selfish reason and a selfless reason, like okay. you just said. Bring it on. And the selfish reason was... I love speaking to young people. It fills me up. I, I absolutely love doing it. I know that I have this gift and I can share it. The selfless reason is that I'm 19 years old. I challenge anyone listening to go on Google and search up youth speakers, yeah. the best in the world. Most of them are at least 25, 26, 27. Now, if I go to school, get my degree, and then start speaking, I'll be like just I'll, I'll be like every other youth speaker that that speaks, sure. the same age. I realize right now that I have this opportunity because I'm I'm literally sometimes younger than the audience, yeah. than university students. I'm only two years older than a high school crowd. I dress like them, I walk like them, I eat like them, I talk like them, I listen to the same music. And so if I wait five years, I'm going to leave the opportunity to impact a certain demographic or a certain percentage of the audience, which I wouldn't have the chance to later on. And so... Those are really the, the two reasons. And like you said, I, I know what I want to do and I know what my purpose is. And school is not going to teach me to build a speaking business and how yeah. to impact people's lives. Dude, do it. 
Good for you, man. Have you have you encountered any any detractors or any haters on the way? Have you bumped into anyone who said you're too young to be doing this? You shouldn't be speaking. Go live some more life and all the other bullshit advice that other others got. Joseph Campbell's journey after you get into the special world, you meet your allies, your enemies, yeah, and your yeah. friends and supporters. People leave out the enemies part, man. The yeah. enemies is a big part of that. Dude. Huge part, right? Yeah. And they actually kind of sometimes forge you into a better version of yourself. I think so. Depending on how you take it. Um, I've met a whole ton of friends, I'll tell you that, because people are attracted to someone who doesn't do what's normal. Yeah. Because subconsciously and deep down, everyone kind of wants something that's not the normal path of life. Totally. They're just too afraid and don't have the courage to go for it. That's why movies are so popular, right? They allow us to rehearse those simulations. Yeah. So in terms of enemies, um, I've met a whole bunch of people. Like now, anyone in particular that tried to like stop you from being on the path that you're on right now, speaking-wise? Um, specifically stop me? Well, not even stop you, but it was like, hey man, maybe, maybe this isn't for you. Um... I'm gonna think real quick. I asked that because, like, uh, and while you're thinking about that, like, I had somebody in my life who did that. I'm not gonna put them on blast, but uh, someone who I'm still very close with, mm. who I still consider to be a friend and a mentor. This person said to me, um, "You're not serious about this," and like that just stuck with me for a very long time. I was like, "What do you mean I'm not serious about this?" Because that comment came from a place of looking at all the things I had on the go. I was running an agency, it was teaching, writing, speaking, mm -hmm. doing a whole bunch of things. And this person's criticism was that because I wasn't all in on speaking, therefore I wasn't serious about it. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me. And uh, I haven't had a chance to tell this person that it bothered me, but I wish he would have said what I'm saying to you right now, which is, dude, you found it. Yeah. Go all in. Keep yeah. going in. Because if, even if it's one person in the audience who's listening to you, absolutely worth it. It's funny because... If you go back to that guy or the girl that was yeah. told you that, I'm kind of curious to know whether or not they're following their true dream or passion. Because typically <laughs> when someone tells you you're not serious or are you sure about this, it's because they're not sure about something or they're not serious so about something. So they're projecting something. their own insecurities. Yeah, it's like them. they're looking at you, but you're a mirror. Interesting. That's what I think. And when someone when someone tells me you, you can't do it, yeah. I think it's typically because they didn't do something. Damn, you know what? Like, Bailey's listening to this right now, and I know that she's given me the exact same advice. She said that that don't take that comment to heart because mm -hmm. that, that was more about that person's reflection on their insecurities than it was about the truth of, of your situation. Yeah. But it stuck with me, and it made me, it made me better. It made me really consider how serious I was about speaking. I was serious about it, mm -hmm. but after that, I was like, no, I need to put this into high definition for the world to see that I care about this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of some examples I could give you, yeah. I've spoken at a school before where... I got there half an hour early, sat in the staff room, met all the staff, yeah. went and killed the presentation. And then all those staff that I saw in the staff room would run up to me and they were like, that was amazing. And they, they were so happy. And I was like, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And then they were like, but we have to apologize. For? Yeah. I was like, for what? And they're like, you know, when you left the staff room, we kind of all laughed. Like, oh, thinking, what is this 17 year old kid going to have to say that's so important? Damn. And I was like. Damn, and it made me realize that little moment that there's a certain percentage of the people that I'm trying to speak to uh, and the, the decision makers that are teachers that are going to stop me because they think I'm too young. Yeah. And it seems like your age at first can be a disadvantage to any young people listening. But I'll tell you right now, after you kill the presentation or after you do a, a stellar job and you just create something that's amazing, all of a sudden your age turns into your biggest advantage. And those same people that doubt you are saying things like, he did this and he's only 17 at the time. Right. And so that's one solid example. I also have another one that, that comes to mind of an old mentor I used to have. Uh, and I told him my vision, how I want to speak around the world. And he said, oh, just just a speaker? 
and he was like almost trying to say that like that's that's trash like don't call yourself a speaker don't be a speaker that's like it's not good enough it's not big enough yeah um it's not enough and i looked up to this guy a lot so it kind of hit me pretty hard um but you just gotta follow that that north star the feeling in your chest and uh that's what i've done this whole time and it hasn't led me astray um and i would say i just made a decision Dude, good for you, man. And I feel like anybody who's listening to this right now who has ever discriminated on the basis of, of age, uh, I would say you're doing so at your own peril. And uh, I, I find that I'm very much drawn to people like yourself and Kwaku who are young, who have this toolbox of skills that would be almost impossible for somebody who went through, like I'm a couple of years older than both of you over here, like didn't have the same access to information, didn't have the same tools or the synthesis of wisdom that allowed me to rehearse the mistakes that other people made mm -hmm. and then learn from them and quickly iterate. And I think what's amazing for for both of you and all the young listeners of this podcast and, and people who are watching on YouTube is that you have more time to experiment, more time to make mistakes so that by the time you get to the age where things started for other people, like you're already leaps and bounds ahead of them. Like, dude, you're 19. You already got a TED talk, man. I didn't get my first one until like 26 or 27, man. I was already like a semi washed up two chains by that point. Right. <laughs> and now here I'm seeing like the, the, the young cats coming up, man. It's, it's really awesome to see. Let's talk about your TED talk real quick, man. And then we'll go, we'll go into a fun game that okay. I, I have, I have for you. But cool. what was that? What was that process like for you to get up on stage and kill the nerves to do the TED talk because like there's keynotes there's workshops there's presentations and then there's TED talks mm -hmm. which require like a different type of battling with adrenaline how, how was that for you yeah I want to also explain how I got it yeah, because a lot of do. people message me and they say how'd you get it yeah. yeah man what's the key how'd you get the TED talk for sure yeah, and I'm like down, man. dude honestly I was being myself on a stage one time and someone saw me that's and it. that was it there's this guy named Blake Fly. Shout out Blake Fly. Shout out Blake Fly, man. <laughs> I was speaking at this competition called Speaker Slam. It's five minutes. That's all he saw me speak for. And I went up to him afterwards. And I don't even know why. I didn't know the guy. I didn't know who he was at all. I didn't know he had a speaking background or a TEDx background. And I was talking to him. And he's such a personable dude. And I told him at the end of my con the conversation, he asked me, like, what are your goals, Sam? How can I help you? And I told him, oh, man, one day I really want to do a TED Talk. And that was the last conversation I had with the guy. Never met him again. Six months later, I got a call from TEDx Youth Toronto. Yeah. The organizer is named Anthony. And he's like, Sam, we want you to speak at our conference. And I was like, what? how'd you find me? He's like, oh, Blake Fly was our MC last year. He just put in a word for you. Fucking shout yeah. out to Blake, man. So I was like filled with gratitude yeah, at that yeah, moment. Yeah. I was like so thankful. And it made me realize like you want more in life? Give. Yes. Give absolutely. more, man. Absolutely. You want to receive more? Give more. Um, and so that's how I got the talk. Now, the process that followed afterwards was a lot funner. Um, it made me try and reflect on my actual story and the message I really wanted to spread. And so I spent like hours in my shower, which is kind of funny. Yeah. I practiced most of my speaking yeah, in my here, shower. Bro. <laughs> yeah, <same laughs> I, here, man. I still have a G Shock. Yeah. I, I bring it in there because it's waterproof. Yeah. And my mom's always like, why are you in the shower for 45 minutes? 45 minutes. That's a <laughs> keynote length. I'm sitting back for Q&A too, man, yeah. answering questions. Like, <laughs> My mom's like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, yeah. Dude, walking, <laughs> walking in showers, man. Those are the yeah. best, man, for practicing your talks. Yeah, so <clears throat> a lot of time in the shower, a lot of time reflecting on who I was as a person, what I went through, and a lot of time thinking about how I could package the message in a way <clears throat> that it's not just about my life story, but about the lives of everyone in the audience. And so a lot, ton of practicing. I didn't really get coaching or anything like that. I, I wanted to be as authentic as possible, the Sam Demma, no one else. And so I went, I delivered it. The moment of, like, of course, when you're starting, you're like, 
hearts are pounding, <laughs> yeah, right? Man. But five seconds into it, you know, you've started and it's like, it's just go time. Absolutely. And so I went through the speech and then at the end, it's just the best feeling. You're staying there and it's like, everyone's just like clapping and they've, they've resonated, they've related uh-huh. and I just want, they want to talk to you. Um, do you remember doing your TED talk? Like, do you remember being on stage, or yeah. did you just black out? Nah, man, everything about it. Oh man, you're so lucky, dude. I don't remember both of my TED talks, man. I blacked out both times. Damn, <laughs> just went up on stage, and I think I overtrained. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I was watching, like, I think at the time, Pacquiao was fighting Mayweather. That's how long ago this TED talk was. And I remember watching these like all access twenty four sevens, and uh, Mayweather said something to the approximation of like, I practice a hundred times so that when I go into the ring, I can mentally tell myself that hey, you've done this a hundred times before. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. And I'm like, oh, that's a great philosophy for speaking. So I memorized my talk a hundred times. Then you go up on stage and poof, autopilot, Awkward. right? That's funny because <clears throat> shout out Alvin Brown again. Alvin Brown, this man. guy has mastery classes every Tuesday night. He's a super wise guy. Yeah. And he was talking about the difference between being familiar with something and mastery. Hmm. And he talked about the four stages of mastery. The first one being unconscious incompetence, meaning that you suck at something, but you don't know you suck. (laughs) You just suck (laughs) at it, (laughs) right? And then once you've uh, practiced the thing when you still suck and you don't even know you suck, you move up to the next level or level two or stage two, which is conscious incompetence. It's like at this point, you know you suck. But you have awareness that you suck at it. And then if you keep persisting and pursuing, you move on to the third stage, which is um, conscious competence. You now know you're good. This could be the cocky stage where you're like walking <laughs> around like, like you're like, yo, I'm, I'm the shit. <laughs> and then if conscious you- Conscious competence. Yeah, like man. That, man. And if you keep going- That's a rapper name right there. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> if you uh, keep going through the cocky stage, you'll hit unconscious competence. Oh, interesting. Where you're so good and you don't even remember that you're like, that's what, when you practice your speech a hundred times where you just blank out, but you still perform. Yeah. That was unconscious competence. It's the Bruce Lee kick, right? Yeah. Practice the same kick a thousand times at any moment. You can just pop. It's a reflex. Done. So dude, on that note, man, let's jump into this game over here if you're down to play it. And we have to ask if you want to play it because uh, sometimes it takes our, our, our illustrious guests out, out of their comfort zone. And they're designed to do that, but in a fun way. But here's the thing. If you don't do it, that's perfectly fine. We just cut this part out, jump into the next segment of the podcast. If you do do it, we'll have some fun. We'll get some good footage over here. We'll play a game and the audience will get to see a different side of you. But you also become eligible to win Guests of the Year. And it's a big, shiny WWE style belt. So, Sam Demma, do you want to play this game? Dude, it's time to get uncomfortable. Hey, I love it. I love it. Okay, so this is called TED Talk Roulette. And we're going to try to tap into your unconscious competence over here. So I have two pieces of paper over here. Uh, You get to decide which one you want to write. So you can either write the opening line of your TED Talk or the closing line of your TED Talk. Mm. Which one is it going to be? And this is a brand new one you're going to do, by the way. Um, Because I'm going to write the other one. so Okay. And we're not going to coordinate on this. So you, you might start at one place, but your ending is going to have to be something totally different. Okay, I'll start it. You'll start it? Okay, yeah. perfect. So write out either the word, the theme, or the sentence that you want your TED Talk to start with. And then I'm going to write out how I want you to end your TED Talk. And then as we go through this for the listeners, I'll explain what we're going to do next. Is uh, Sam's going to do a... A TED Talk, a mini TED Talk over here. And I'm going to hold up the cards, and you're going to start with your card, and then I'm going to dig into this little halo skull over here. And there's just a bunch of random words on this piece of paper, and I'm going to pull one out every 10 seconds. And while you're doing your TED Talk, <laughs> you got to modify on the fly and incorporate those cards into your talk. Okay. And it has to end with this last sentence that I'm going to have for you here. Okay. So you'll only know the beginning, you'll only know the end. Cool. 
So Sam's writing out his opening line right now. You got it? Perfect. Now let me grab that marker from you, and I'm going to write down the closing line. <laughs> and uh, I'm writing down, nothing was the same. Jeez, is Drake? Yeah. So that's <laughs> basically the last sentence of this podcast has to be, nothing was the same. So how are you going to start it? So you want me to just jump right in? Well, let's just, for the audience, let them know what is, how it's going to start and how it's going to end, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Okay, it's not English. <laughs> okay, so wait, is that what it says? It's not English? Or no, okay. no, no, it's like, it's actually not English. Oh, the, shit. Yeah. What does it, it say? It says, it says, Vinket Key Patatur, which is a tattoo I have on my bicep. Oh, shit. I'm not going to explain it yet, though. Okay, do I have fine. to? So you got to start with that, and then you got to end with nothing was the same. And in the middle is all the... All this bullshit over here. All right. <laughs> this is just literally random work. Right. I just scrolled through the internet and just got whatever I could. Um, and if there's anything that's unclear, I'll just flash in front of you and bring it closer. Sam Demma, ready to do this? TED Talk roulette? I think you're going to rock this, brother. I think, I think the unconscious competence is going to kick in. <laughs> Let's flex on him. Begin. Think it key patator. He who endures conquers. It seems difficult at first because when you go through pain, you sometimes can't see the other side, especially if you're like Robin, right? You're never the, you're never the superhero. Batman's always the person getting the limelight and you're going through all the struggles together, but you're getting none of the recognition. So how are you going to feel mentally, right? You're going to go through depression. You're going to go through anxiety. You're going to figure out that life was not the same. Like life is not going to go on. It's, it's difficult. And you know, when you get stressed, you get super stressed and you start to realize that it takes too long to make food. So you're going to go and get some McDonald's and eat some burgers <laughs> because, man, it just takes too long to, to cook. And <laughs> when you're eating like crap, when you can't face your, your fears and you're just in a really bad position, you start scrolling, you start sw swiping right tinder right now you're alone eating burgers you're fat and you need to find a mate <laughs> oh man and, and sometimes when you're going through that bad patch of of life and, and everything is going wrong you got to go back to your childhood right you got to watch things like the lion king you got to bring yourself back up gotta bring yourself back up and it's crazy because to go forward you must go backward you must put on your old shoes you must you must move backward and you must relive through the same stresses and anxieties as you did uh in terms of the the experiences in order to move forward and nothing was the same like drake <laughs> because as you progress uh you learn so many new things as you as you have new experiences and <laughs> you're crushing it though you're doing really well man. <laughs> this ain't a joke mate but if we were in australia you might see a kangaroo <laughs> oh man and the grass is not always greener on the other side of your pain right you might find some flowers like some tulips <laughs> but it's definitely not greener and it's funny because when you go through pain and you don't have the tinder match you're probably going to turn on netflix uh, and just watch some some crazy movies to keep you entertained and um <laughs> don't even ask how these words came to be <laughs> and sometimes um you're gonna feel as if you have to endure so much that you're wearing like life is putting on these tight pants they just don't fit it doesn't fit the narrative of your story or where you're trying to go and um and when you grind so hard through this pain and these problems 
the people around you are going to hate you, not because of what you're doing, but because your breath stinks. (laughs) If you don't take a break to brush your teeth, I I feel really bad for you. (laughs) And, and you have to make sure as you, as you move along stage three, that, that, that conscious competence, you don't become like Kanye, right? The moment you think you're all and everything, you just fall apart. And if I was to go back to the beginning of the speech and remind everyone, you know, it's the person who endures through the hardships. It's Robin who endures, although Batman receives all the recognition. I would say to you this, if you endure, nothing will ever be the same. Boom. Oh, shit. (laughs) Sam Demma, dude. (laughs) You killed that. (laughs) You killed that, man. (laughs) Just. Damn. I don't know how you were able to do that, man. If the, if the game was, if we flipped the game, I would just collapse in the first three, man. You, you had the material ready to go. Like you had the story and you were just like shoehorning things in. Sometimes it fits, sometimes it didn't. But at the end, you tied it up all perfectly together. No, man, that was really Way fun. Way to go, man. I like that. I have this big smile on my face. I just have a vision of myself sitting down, swiping right on Tinder, watching Lion King on, <laughs> on Netflix, eating McDonald's and just being like... Man, you gotta endure that pain, man. I, I gotta endure that pain. <laughs> so definitely don't put this on your speaker reel. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This will not get you any gigs. Yeah. But I think that, man, if you could do this, like there's there's no stopping you from improvising if you ever ca- catch yourself doing a talk at a national stage and just being like, you know, you missed a word or you missed a phrase or something. Like that. Has that ever happened? Have you ever bombed before? Yeah, man. The first three speeches, right, I, I choked done? up on stage. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because <laughs> I spoke for five minutes. It was terrible. Yeah. In the first speech I ever did, didn't choke or anything, but I was pacing back and forth, literally choking on my spit, <laughs> swallowing every five seconds. But after the first one, some teachers loved it and said, can you come and speak to my class for half an hour? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, sure. <laughs> I went home, wrote a 30 minute speech, tried to memorize every single word. And you know, if you try to memorize every single word and you miss one word, you lose where you, where your thoughts were at. Right. And so I choked up and then I did it a second time and a third time in front of entire schools, 500 kids. Um, and it made me realize you can't actually memorize every single word. No. It's more about general stories, general points. Yeah. And then each time you deliver the speech, it's a little bit different. Sure. You can so, memorize transitions. You can yeah. memorize the first few minutes. But it's basically what you just did right now. You know how it's going to start. You know how it's going to end. Everything in between. You're just kind of trying trying to string it along. Yeah, man. You have the, the general stories and general framework. But the way you deliver it each time is probably going to be a little bit different. I'm excited to jump into this next piece of the conversation where we try to understand and reverse engineer how it is that you structure and optimize your time, your energy, and your attention. Mm. And why I'm excited to speak to you about to speak to you specifically about this is because we've never had the chance in this podcast. This is now, I think, episode 14, I believe. Um, you know, we've talked to other public speakers, but never with the focus on public speaking as um, as a career. Mm. So. I bring that up because I'm sure, you know, like that you had those, those, those the, the staff in the high school that were laughing at you after you walked out of the room. Sometimes I run up into this. I'm not sure if you're seeing this right now, but sometimes people devalue speaking because it seems so easy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Sam's just going to go up on stage and he's going to open his mouth for 30 minutes. Why should I pay him $5,000? Yeah. Well, why should you pay Picasso for a painting? Why should you pay LeBron James to play basketball? Help us understand how much time goes into these talks. Like, I know the answer to this. Kwaku knows the answer to this. But for all the listeners who are unfamiliar with speaking as a profession, break it down how it is that you structure your time leading up to this game time moment of speaking. Yeah. So you you hit a nerve when you said about the people again, and it made me think of another person. Huh. I, I used to work part-time at the keg uh, like four days a week. Oh, shit. Which one, man? Uh, Markham Road. Right on. Now I moved from busing to serving, and I, sh- I shifted my shifts from five to one. Um, because <laughs> I read a Jim Rome book 
and I saw this quote that said, you shouldn't be asking what you're getting from the job, instead who you're becoming. Uh, say it mean, one more time. You, you shouldn't ask what you're getting from the job, but who you're becoming. You should ask, who, who am I becoming being here? Who am I becoming working here? Because if you become more, you can have more. And the thing was, my goal is to be this big speaker. Is serving at the keg going to help me? Absolutely not. So I, re I reduced the shifts down to one. And to be honest with you, it's like a psychological blanket right now. It's like a safety net, which I, I'm probably going to let it go. I will let it go in the next like couple of months mm -hmm. um, because it's not serving me. It's not letting me go full out. Yeah. Um, although I am, but that, that one day is like, oh, it's okay. I still have a job. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be gone soon. Um, but the point I was trying to get across was there's a guy there another server who watches my videos and he says oh bring me bring me to your speech like i want to speak i can speak you're, you're a motivational speaker like that's 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 trash right and uh it just kind of hit me i was like oh you think it's that easy like <laughs> good yeah. luck man yeah, good luck <laughs> good luck <laughs> and so in terms of the time that i put in it's all the time all my time is spent on speaking almost all of it pick waste yeah. is another avenue for me to speak and spread a message that i really care about right um but it's Everything I do is catered around speaking. I bought, I've spent like probably over 10K on, on speaking education. Holy shit, man. Like there's Jane Atkinson. I yeah. bought her coaching program, 12 weeks. I bought all of her books. I, I invested in Youth Speaker University. Yep. That's Josh Ship's course. Yeah, yeah. Two grand. Top Youth Speakers. Yeah. I also bought the ticket and the flight to California for their live mm -hmm. event in June. I went to CAPS convention, two grand, Vancouver, housed myself in a hotel, yeah. and networked with a bunch of professional speakers, all the professional speakers in Canada. I bought countless books. Um, the people I've talked to, I've probably called every youth speaker in Toronto. I've talked to you. I've talked to Juan Bandana. I've talked to Shane Feldman. I've talked to Blake Fly. Yeah, to um, him, yeah. I've talked to Sean Carungo. Yeah, shout know? out to Sean, man. I'm yeah, trying man. to get him on the podcast. He's a, I don't actually know him, but... He's a, I can make the connection. Oh, that would be great, man, for season two. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. I've talked to... Um, like you Ryan really, Porter, you've I've immersed like, yourself in this world. Like you're, yeah. you're dead serious about this. Yeah. You're, made, you're making all the moves that I think a person should make if they want to get serious about this with their craft and speaking. Yeah. So like in terms of pre-speech, um, to give you guys a little bit of insight, like weeks following up, I will go into my basement every morning to start the day and I'll, I'll, I'll work through my presentation like almost every day. I'll work through it and not memorizing the words. Like I don't have a sheet in front of me, but working through the main points and then the, the transitions and the flows. Yeah. Um, and Sometimes I'll do it on camera so I can watch it later on. Um, but for weeks, for weeks, I'll practice the talk. And to be honest with you, you're, I see so many speakers that will create like 15 different talks. And Josh Ship explains it best in his course. Your priority is one solid talk. Yeah. One killer talk. Don't create like your second and third one until your first one is like 10 out of 10. Yeah. If you're not getting three referrals from every speech you give, your, your speech is not good enough. Yeah. The best marketing material as a speaker is your talk. Always. So um, literally, it's just one talk. It's the same talk. And over the next two years, after every speech, I bring a notebook. And you realize that you say different things that might hit the audience, you write it down and you iterate the talk. And after two years, you're going to have this masterpiece. I love that. And then you move on to the next one. That's so cool, man. And you, you got me thinking about a lot of things, man. Um we were talking just right before the podcast, before you showed up, actually. We were talking about uh, Jordan Peele hmm. dropped a new series, The Twilight Zone. So the first episode came out literally today. And I would encourage you guys to watch it. So the first episode is about a, a comedian. But there's a, there's a specific tool that's used in the storytelling that shows what it's like to talk about something personal in your life. I'm not going to spoil it, but every time he draws on... So he's, he's a comedian that has a certain message that he wants to get across to the audience. 
nobody's receptive to that message. So what he starts doing is he starts to tailor his talks by diving into parts of his personal life and extracting painful stories. But every time he extracts a painful story, something happens. And I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, but you should watch it. Okay. And um, I think about like you know you saying, and you said this earlier in the podcast where you know you get you get up and 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 you. Know, you I'm, I'm sure when you tell the story about you as a soccer player and the hurt and the pain that you went through, there's, there's no way you can fake it when you're up on stage. Like, that's real emotions. You're tapping into something that only you've been through, like hurt and pain and agony that you felt. And it's not fun, man. <laughs> like, you might be up there smiling and moving around, being animated, and people in the audience might be gasping and, and cheering and whatever, but you walk off that stage and, whew, like I'm sure you need some solid recovery time, mm. and that's what people people don't recognize that people that are hiring you to speak realize that when you get up on stage, like you're bleeding, you're cutting yourself open. People don't realize how hard it is to make someone else do something. Yeah, and that's your job as a speaker to move someone's ideas into action. Yeah, by talking, mm -hmm. and so you're up there 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes yeah. an hour and a half. It's a long time, a, man. A workshop, yeah. and you give it like every ounce of your energy. You have to. Like, with the passion and the way you tell the stories. Like, I finish speeches sometimes. I drive home, and I just, like, I feel like I need to sleep for, like, six hours. Same, same. And uh, my mom's like, why are you so tired? And I was like, I delivered a speech. And then she'll say something like, well, teachers do it all day. <laughs> and I was like, no, they don't. It's different, <laughs> No, man. they don't. It's ten times different. It's ten times different. Like, the only reason why my teacher impacted me is because he believed wholeheartedly in what he was teaching me. And, and among all the other teachers I had throughout my whole education, yeah. uh, they didn't, like, care. It didn't seem like they cared enough. Uh, it seemed like they hated their job. Mm -hmm. And they were just there to fill space and time and make a salary. Right. And so when you add the passion into your talking, you get tired quick. Because you're giving up a piece of you. Do you ever do back-to-back -back talks, like in the same day, or sometimes you do one day and another day right after that? The most we've done is, I've, most I've done is three in Holy one day. Shit, man. There's three elementary schools. Wow. And I was wiped out. Oh, dude. <laughs> after that <laughs> one talk, if I don't immediately go into the second talk, it's a disaster. Like if I have even like five seconds alone to myself after a talk, wiped, man. Yeah, and even like your throat starts to hurt. Yeah. And you're just... It's, it's tough. Because you don't want to phone it in for the third audience. Like, you want to make sure that they get the same impact that you would have given the first audience. Mm -hmm. Which is why when, like, Drake does these back-to-back -back shows, I'm like, what are you doing in between all of this? Yeah. You're just drinking, like, honey ginger tea and, <laughs> you know, having somebody massage your throat? Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, wow, know. man. Uh, let's talk about energy now. So when I speak about energy, I kind of want to, you to, to draw on some of the things you might have learned from your days as a professional athlete and how it is that you've carried that over into your life. Because you talked about uh, small, consistent actions. So what are those small, consistent actions that you bring back from a part of your life that prioritized peak physical condition and fitness? And how do you now apply that to uh, elite speaking? Yeah, so I think even if you look back at sports, to get to a peak state is about consistent action. Mm -hmm. So you want to be like a really fast runner or a really high endurance, you have to run every day, right? So in terms of speaking, you have to speak every day. And it doesn't have to be in front of an audience of 50. It could be in your basement by yourself. It could be at a podcast. It could be at a Toastmasters club. But mm -hmm. immerse yourself in the act. And so from the athletics point of view, actions that I took back then that I've continued over because they still have a mutual benefit on what I'm doing are things like meditating, um, taking time to reflect. And I do two types of meditation. One is where I shut off my mind and the other one's where I let it wander. And I think sometimes people get caught up in the fact that sometimes they have thoughts. Um, but if it's conscious thought, like you sit there to think, you get the best ideas. 
Um, and so I use it for both. And those have served me a lot. And I usually get up feeling like super energized. Um, the second piece is the diet. Like you are what you eat, what you not only eat, but consume. And you consume from uh, three different areas, your mouth, your eyes, and your, your ears. What are you this eating? True, yeah. What are you watching? What are you listening to? Yeah, this and media so, diet. Yeah, essentially, it's like a holistic view, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, what am I listening to? What am I watching? And what am I eating? And the habits that I've adopted from back then were things like drinking lots of water, um, eating good foods like greens, uh, less red meat. Um, I, I practice intermittent fasting, nice. so I only eat from twelve to eight p.m. Um, so cut off now. You can't eat anymore. Yeah, man. All done. Oh shit. Yeah. So it sometimes is tough. Yeah. But the thing is, if you look back in history, like human beings, they didn't have a fridge. This is true. You yeah. want food, you got to go kill it. <laughs> yeah, man. So you wake up and some days you wouldn't find an animal till 4 p.m. It's always instant, man. Farm to table, man. <laughs> yeah, we have the, it's funny. We have, we have this easy life now where it's like you can have instant gratification whenever you want. Sure. You just man. go open the fridge, you get That's eat. it. Fire so, up some Pop-Tarts, man. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So I would say things like that. I practice fasting, meditating, uh, eating healthy, uh, watching what I consume like in terms of media. Um, and yeah, I would say like I have other practices like journaling and stretching. Um, but those are kind of all very broad and everyone hears them all the time. Um, but it's good because I feel like with what we're, what's happening right now, we're on episode 14 of the podcast. There's definitely common threads. So people who've listened to all 14 are picking up on some of the patterns. Like I've certainly picked up on them just in the first few episodes, which is like fitness, sleep. And so even though it might seem like a, like a tired idea mm. strung together with the pattern of high performers across different industries and vocations is really fascinating. So let's maybe switch this up then for the last bit over here. So let's get to something specific to Sam. When we talk about attention, um, I'm fascinated with this concept of valence, something having intrinsic value that draws you to it. Mm. And I think you can't have valence without having um, aversion as well, like something that you're afraid of and something that you're drawn towards. Has Sam Dema um, articulated what success looks like and what failure looks like? <laughs> like what is abject total disastrous failure look like for you and what does wild success i made it i'm great mm -hmm. uh, it comes down to the decision for me <clears throat> so in a successful version of sam demma's life yeah. it would be able to make whatever decision he wanted and follow through and like there was nothing else holding him back but what are the parameters on that like what, what would a decision be like i don't know hop on a private Oh yeah, like the like actual. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's not based on materialistic things for me. Good, yeah. Um, I I want to be able to speak more, okay. like a ton. If my life was filled with speaking every day, I'd be happy. Yeah. Because I know I'd be impacting others. And right now, it's not my decision because I don't have thousands of people knocking on my door. Yeah, I'm doing like maybe a hundred keynotes in a year yeah. or fifty keynotes. Sure. Um, but it's not so much that I can say I want to speak here at this event because they invited me. Well, I had five other options, but this is what I want. Right. I would also say. Uh, a successful life in me would be a life where I could schedule things how I want in my calendar. I already can to a degree, but so much so that I could say I want to block off a week and I know I'll be fine. Yeah, not financially, to worry physically. About. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to be able to spend more time uh, doing simple things in life, like dancing on a beach in Costa Rica mm -hmm. <laughs> and spending time with family and friends. And right now, I feel like I'm in this tunnel where I'm sacrificing a lot to. Um, so that when I'm 25, I can flip the script, right? So a successful life in the future will be one where I, I can choose how my times fit based on all the options I have given yeah. to me by so many other people. Um, one where I can speak a lot and one where I can do the very simple things in life that bring me the most happiness, like, like dancing. 
Dude, that's incredible. That's an incredible amount of self-awareness that you're demonstrating for 19, man. Like, shit, man. When I was your age, dude, I think I was still playing Yu-Gi-Oh. I, mean, I swear to God. <laughs> like, me and Amir were still meeting up at his house and, like, stressing about, like, who's Blue-Eyed White Dragon. Yeah. Card and, like, we misplaced that shit. Yeah. That's wild because now at 31, I've arrived at the same conclusion that you've reached at 19, which is money's good now. How do I buy back my time? Yeah. Because I don't have time. Mm. I've steady streams of income coming in, but now I want to do exactly what you said and flip the script and figure out how it is that I can make this much money, make more money with exerting less of my time and mm. having to not be physically in places to make that money. Yeah. Uh, speaking seems to be the answer, but for me now it's about like, what do I want to speak about? Because mm. I don't want to just do a bunch of keynotes and especially now talking to you, I'm thinking maybe I should just get rid of all of my keynotes and only focus on three of them. I've got like seven in rotation mm. right now, but that's seven that's confusing the audience. They're like, what does he speak about? In your mm. case, there's some very clear themes that you speak about. You speak about mental health, you speak about your personal journey, and we didn't even get into pick waste. We should talk yeah. about pick waste a little bit as well before yeah. we close off the podcast. Do you have a talk that's dedicated to pick waste specifically? Yeah, yeah. What's so, the title of that talk? Uh, it's actually like a whole <clears throat> brand, so it's not like a keynote. Okay. Um, pick waste is like an educational company. Yeah. that delivers educational content. So I don't have like a program name for it. Um, but basically, before I move down that path, let me say my definition of failure. Oh yeah, please forget. Yeah. So, Get too excited sometimes. Yeah, it's okay, so. man. You're good. <laughs> In terms of failure for me, it would be getting to the end of my life, which could be any day, and feeling like I haven't done what I was supposed to do. And that sounds kind of contradictory to what I said before about the should. Yeah. Um, but I feel like everyone has a higher purpose that they have to try and find while they're here on earth, no matter what you believe in. Um, that's my personal belief. And if I don't do that thing, I'll feel like I, I wasted I, I wasted my life. And the difference between the should is that you define that should. It's not an external definition. Yeah. You're not following somebody else's blueprint. You're yeah. following your own. You've yeah. telegraphed into the future what it is that you want to do, and now you're just following through on that. Exactly. So I would say... Not yeah. realizing your potential would be hell. Yeah, just not fulfilling that potential, but also using it properly. I feel like we're all given gifts, and sometimes we're not courageous enough yeah. to use them. And that's half the reason why I dropped out of school, because I felt like I need to use this thing and give it away. And if I don't give it away in my life, yeah. I feel like I just wasted it. And you know what? And all things considered, like I wouldn't wish what happened to you as a professional athlete on the path to going pro uh, at, a, at a higher level than 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 what you, what you reached eventually. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but in your case, I feel like it gave you a very vivid understanding of failure. So not you're not just saying that this is a definition of hell for you, you can actually feel it. Mm -hmm. You can actually recall what it was like being in your bed, crying, talking to your parents and asking yourselves, is this it? Um, damn, dude. Yeah. I mean, between that definition of hell and the definition of heaven, like there's no reason why you shouldn't be continuously moving towards your version of heaven mm. um, because you know that just you're one hairline fracture away from going back to a place where you were at your worst. Yeah, and I always look back at the phrase <coughs> in my arm, Vinkiki Pathetour. Right, what language is that, dude? It's Latin. Latin. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> it, it makes me realize every struggle like comes with a seed that's planted. Mm -hmm. You might not see it at the moment, but you know, a month later or two months later or a year later when you're speaking on stages, you realize, holy crap, like... This is how it was supposed to play out. Um, and there's a, there's a reason for it. Sometimes it just takes a long time to figure it out. Yeah. And you have to be actively looking for it. If you're not actively trying to figure out why did this happen or what's the purpose, you never will. Mm -hmm. If you just let it take over and, and you just accept the reality, it's over, I would probably 
be doing drugs right now. This is it. <laughs> I have no clue what I would be doing. I have absolutely no idea. So And pick waste seems to be an outlet that you're pouring yeah. all of your time, energy, and attention into, in addition yeah. to speaking, which works very well with that. But you're ahead of the curve with pick waste, man. Like I feel like the conversation that you're having, the conversations that you're having with students are ones that uh, you know we're going to see the benefits long after we're dead. Mm. We're going to see an entire generation of young people who are inspired by, you know, well, we had this one guy come to our class, come to our cafeteria on, you know, in March or April, whatever mm-hmm. month we're in right now. And he said something that changed my life. And we might not be around to see the world transformed by the people that you inspired. Mm. How often are you in front of students speaking about pick oh, waste and mandate? It's got chills. Dude, check this out. This is the, where I got that. That's a derivative of this Greek quote, which says that a society grows great when wise men plant plant seeds no well sorry let me rephrase that a society grows great when wise men plant trees the shade of which they know they shall never sit in Hmm. (laughs) that's crazy and uh the reason i just got like super chills is because i've had people tell me that you know a small action can't make a massive difference um and which is the main message i talk about to kids and i always think about my teacher my teacher just taught the class and he impacted one kid which was me and then pick waste happened and tens of thousands of people were impacted. That's it. And uh, it gives me chills because he didn't even freaking know. He didn't even know. Mm-hmm. He did not even know. Like the shade of the tree. He didn't even see it. That's it. it was the lollipop that he gave away. Right? Yeah. He gave his gift away. <clears throat> passion. And I invited him to a speaker slam speech at the St. Lawrence Center, 600 people. And I, I owed up the speech to him. Wow. I, I titled my speech One Teacher Away. And I said that every person on this planet is one teacher away, one one little lesson away from yeah. transforming your life. And not necessarily even in a formal education system. No. This could be somebody that you bump your into. Your teacher is everyone around you. It's, it's, it's everything. When right? the student is ready, the teacher shall arrive, man. Yeah, which could be anything. And Damn, so dude. he started crying. Like, he bawled, him and his wife, bawling, because he didn't even know. Yeah. He didn't know. He didn't see the shade. He didn't see the tree that created the shade. And so what happened with pick waste, and I'll explain it now, is... um. I took that theory that day in class and every day I walked home and I started asking myself, what small action can you commit to? You know, how can you make a difference in your community? And I didn't have an answer being 17 years old. I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not even in university yet. I don't have a job. What the hell can I do? And what ended up happening was after 14 days of walking, one day this coffee cup blew across the sidewalk. Tim Hortons, right? I picked it up. First thing I did, I rolled up the rim. Just joking, I didn't roll through it. <laughs> but uh, I picked it up and I felt this urge to pick it up. Yeah. And I wasn't an environmentalist. I grew up being taught for my parents to be ethical and, and moral and do good things and respect others and respect your environment. Um, but I felt this urge to pick up the trash. And I realized there's trash everywhere. Why not just pick it up? I walked past it every day. And when I picked up that first piece, I realized, dude, that's a small action. Like, I can do that. That could be my small thing. And so I took my teacher's theory and I, I applied it. I didn't just talk about it. I wanted to see if this was correct. And so for four months, I brought a plastic bag to school and I'd fill it with trash walking home. Mm-hmm. No expectations. Yep. I wasn't going to change the world, just That's pick it. up some trash. And five days before summer break, one of my good buddies, Dylan, saw me driving home, pulls over, rolls down his window, starts laughing. He's like, you good, man? <laughs> yeah, he's like, you should be kicking a soccer ball, dude. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I told him, like, my teacher told me, Mr. Loudfoot, small action, massive change. Here's my little, like, this is my critique of it. Here's my version. I want to see if he's correct. I'm going to test his theory. And Dylan was like, dude, that's awesome. Good luck. Rolled up his window, drove home. Five days later, school ended. I stopped picking up trash because I wasn't in school walking home. Once in a while, I'd walk around and pick some up, but, like, I wasn't going out 
just voluntarily doing it. And then Dylan called me up and he's like, dude, I don't know what you did to me. You like put a hex on me. I can't, I can't get this idea out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, let's do something with this. And so we started doing one hour a week litter cleanups and it was a summer project. That's it. Right. And we weren't changing the world. We were going to do it for like four, eight weeks, see what will happen. Yeah. And we gained so much momentum and had so many people like come up to us cry. Like we had old people coming up to us crying. I've lived on this shore for 20 years. Wow. A young person has never picked up trash. Like God bless you and all this kind of stuff. And, um, made us realize there's a big issue and pollution is a huge issue and uh we kind of stumbled down this path and it just gained so much momentum we filled a thousand bags of trash what? in the span of a year and a half we both got tedx speeches because of it named one of canada's top environmentalists under the age of 25 yeah, wow. it was got featured all over national news sure. we did consulting work with a like Boom. all this stuff just randomly happened um and we realized that there's a huge message that needs to be spread um which is that we need to care for our common home and the way we teach it to young kids is in a simple way. We say, like, there's three resources we need, we need fundamentally to survive, food, water, and oxygen. Now, if we continue polluting the ocean, polluting the atmosphere, and polluting the soil, we're going to be eating that food that grows out of the soil. We're going to be drinking the water that we pollute. We're going to be breathing in the air we pollute. Oh, my goodness. Why is there so much disease prevalent in today's society? We're neglecting the three things that we literally need, fundamentally need, to survive and thrive. Um, and kids can understand that. Wow. They don't understand graphs and 50-year-old scientists coming in and using all right. these big words. The reason why no one cares about the environment is because from a young age, it's boring as shit. <laughs> you're sitting in class and some 50-year-old comes in and they have these graphs and you're like, what is this? What like, is this? Yeah. yeah, it's not even Beating fun. ozone levels, yeah. Yeah, like who, it's too, it's too scientific. Intangible. Almost, yeah. yeah. Like, Abstract. You have to get a kid saying why from a young age because once you start getting curious, you never stop, right? And if you, can, if you can engage them about a topic and they start asking the question why, they'll go find the answers and they'll start to live in harmony. I laugh about the fact that there's a term called an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. We all live on earth. Shouldn't we all be environmentalists? All be, yeah. Like, it's like saying you're a human. Like, no, yeah. we're all humans. We're all humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're all humans. We should be all be environmentalists too. Like, why are some people environmentalists and some people hippies and tree huggers? Like, yeah. it's so stupid to me. Uh, um, it's frustrating, man. Yeah. I think I can't remember who said it, but like someone said, the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that somebody else is going to save it. Yeah. And it's just, it's exactly what you did. It's like, take me back to times where I climbed up my neighborhood when I used to live in Scarborough. Like, we had a neighborhood that seemed to have been neglected by the municipal services. And I was like, what the hell? Like, we pay our taxes. We're living in a priority neighborhood that just people don't want to come through. And mm -hmm. Garbage got to a really bad place, and I remember a few of us got together. Shout out to Raka, Robinstone Association, <laughs> Community Association, or something, and we just we would do exactly what you did. We cleaned up the neighborhood. And looking back, it was obviously really frustrating. I was like early teenager, being like, "What am I doing? I can't believe like I should be playing Xbox right now, but I'm cleaning up my neighborhood." But now speaking to you and looking back, I'm like, if somebody said change the world, where would you start? Mm. Like, do you want to solve? climate change do you want to make the world a better place well you can't just will it into existence you actually have to start somewhere and if you start on your street if you start in your neighborhood i think that if everyone does that then eventually the world will be cleaned up that might be yeah. very naive but i can't think of another way to approach that well that ties in social proof <laughs> we have this belief that if we go out every saturday morning with 30 young people at 9 a.m and you drive to your nine to five every day yeah. and one day you see 30 kids picking up trash you're doing a double take, you know, yep. when you look What's twice. Yeah. yeah, you're like, I've never seen that before. Uh -huh. And you start to subconsciously think maybe littering is not a good idea. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't throw my cigarette butt out the window and all that kind of stuff. And so Pick Waste is really an avenue for us to spread an environmental message. And we're targeting youth so we can get them when they're young, grades four to eight. Right. Um, but from that is where small actions came. 
mm-hmm. the, the main message because I realized my teacher never told me, Sam, pick up trash. He said, Sam, take a small action. Hmm. And the, 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 rea- the reality of the situation or of the world is every kid has a different passion, purpose, or North Star, this, the, their, their version of success. And it might not be the environment. And for me, to be honest with you, that's a piece of my puzzle, but the, the, the main sauce is a lot bigger. And it's about just inspiring other people to, to follow their own North Star with a small action. Wow. Because they can create their pick waste, whatever that might be. Right? This is, uh, man, I'm, I can't tell you how inspired I am, man. This is, uh, you, you've got me thinking about a couple of projects that I've shelved that I need to go back and, 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 and treat with the sort of respect and the love and the simplicity with which you've treated pick waste. I mean, pick waste on paper simple concept but super effective man Mm. like that's how you do it like we overthink it sometimes we're trying to build the layers of complexity that are totally unnecessary to any sort of social endeavor or any endeavor period way to go dude and uh as we close out we'll we'll definitely get into how it is that people can get involved i would love to get involved Mm. um you know even if it's just like having you as a sponsor of this podcast and whatnot and raising funds for this uh, i want to get behind this in some way the community wants to get behind this in some way but before we get into that dude the last segment of the podcast is a rapid fire round. These are 10 handpicked questions just for you, sir. And uh, the challenge here is that you can't overthink them. You just got to answer them with the first thing that comes to mind. Cool. Sam Demma, 10 questions, rapid fire round. You ready? Always. Let's do this. Number one, what's your favorite TED talk of all time? Uh, why your job's going to suck. Bye. Larry Smith. Okay. Uh, or why well, you'll fail to have a good career. Sorry. Larry Smith. Why you'll fail to have a career by Larry Smith. Yeah. Interesting. I'll check that out. What's the last book you read? Ooh, think and Grow Rich, third think time. Think and Grow Rich, yeah. third time, eh? I'm gonna I'm gonna read it 50 times this year. It's an important book, man. Yeah, mastery over familiarity. Oh, so good. If, if, if someone said it to me, Sam, what are the principles in the book? I'd be like, uh, I don't remember any of them. There's 13. There's 13, yeah. Yeah, because I got familiar with the the actual book. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's rapid fire, but one second. Yeah, yeah. Don't my same out my my mentor Alvin. <laughs> I keep coming back to Alvin. He uh. We gotta he, get him on, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was in his mastery class, and he was like. He was like, guys, today we're talking about the six psychological needs. Tony Robbins talks about this, which is another amazing TEDx talk mm-hmm. or TED talk. And right when he said that, I was like, oh, I've seen that video. And I took my phone and I put it back in my pocket. And he looked at me and he said, Sam, what are the six needs then? And I was like, dude, I don't know them. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, you got familiar with the actual content. You got familiar with the video and the title and what it's about, but you don't know any of it. You didn't master any of it. And so I realized you know, that book, Think and Grow Rich, has been quoted as the most important book of all time in terms of personal growth and success. Totally. Um, but if you ask me to list any 13 principles, I can't. You're right. Because I didn't master the content. I didn't actually implement it all in my life. So I'm going to try and read it like 50 times and not touch another book this year. Well, you sometimes just extract like the takeaway that you're looking for. It's just Always in time different. learning, right? Yeah. So I couldn't name them either. But the thing that that book unlocked for me was like a, hey, dream a little bit bigger when it comes yeah. to money, Hamza. Like yeah. that's the big takeaway that I took away from that, which is like, hey, don't be happy with making $50,000 a year. Like you can aim higher than mm-hmm. this. You deserve more than this. Like it changed the conversation for me. Very interesting, dude. Um, who are three podcasters that inspire you? Mm. Uh, guests as well? Uh, or hosts? These, these would be hosts. So these okay. are people who inspire you to be the host that you are yeah. on Small Consistent Actions. Mark Metry, okay. Nisho Bo, Jay Shetty. And what are their podcasts? Mark uh, Mark Metry started Humans 2.0. He just he just interview based podcast brings on like huge names. Now he's interviewing like billionaires. I met him through LinkedIn. Uh, I was on his show when it was really small, um, and we're like really good friends. And I asked him like, "What's the key to growth? Like, how, how did you build this?" And he yeah. just said, "Man, I posted five times a week. Everyone else is only posting one." 
There we go. And it was quality content. He said, I, I chose to act as if podcasting was my job, not a hobby. Gotcha. Um, which was like really interesting. But he has phenomenal people on. You could find like an answer to any question out of some of his guests. Yeah. So I love I love the show and he's such a good interviewer. I got to just this is yeah. the first time hearing about it. The way he asks questions is amazing. Love um, super cool. So and did you name the other two their their podcasts? Yeah. So Jay Shetty has on purpose. On purpose. Live yeah. life on purpose. Yeah. Um, he brings on like he's he's huge, so he can get huge guests, mm-hmm. people that I'd want to hear about or or hear from, but I don't Just have the, off chance. the strength of the name. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the chance to talk to. So yeah, he's phenomenal. Uh, very mindful with his questions. I love listening to it. I always take away something really huge from the episodes. And the third one is Nishobo, former. This is uh, back in the soccer days. So there's a, his name's Olani Soberman, which is his full name. He was a ex NFL player, uh, then got into coaching, mental coaching, um, first athletic training, but he realized in the gym that this is his story. He basically realized that training was useless unless the mind was strong first. Like he couldn't, he can't, you can't build someone on a shit foundation. If their mentality is weak, you need to start there. And so he started this podcast that talks all about mindset for athletes. And back in the soccer days, I was like, dude, this is in my brain so much so that he one time released a little newsletter to his subscribers saying, I need interns. And I interned for him for six months and and he he mentored me. He lives in like Portland. Oh shit. That's wild. Yeah, man. He didn't pay or anything, but yeah, man, like I learned from him. And so I still listen to it to this day. And for one reason, it's, you can hear his passion. We'll add this all to the show notes. Very good. Very good, man. What's a movie that hits too close to home for you? Mm, Rocky Balboa. First one? Yeah, man. OG. Absolutely. Um, or four with Draco. Oh, with Draco. Is that the one where Polly has a robot? Like, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. intro is always weird to me. Like when yeah. he's just like enjoying his success and he doesn't know what he's doing with his yeah. life. Have you watched the new Creed movies, man? I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. I heard they're crazy. Wild, man. Like I live for those training sequences, man. Yeah. Oh, it dude. made me want to buy Nike. Oh, dude, man, man, I love those movies, man. Um, what's one thing people get wrong about Sam Demma? Mm. They think I'm always structured. They think I'm, I'm doing the same things every day. I get variation. People don't see it. Like you didn't know I was a salsa dancer until I no. posted videos. Yeah. Right. Like I was surprising. I'm like, yeah. wow, you move like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. Some guy hit me up. He's like, you have a bigger ass than the girl. Yeah, <laughs> I started laughing, but, um, it's just funny because I do a lot of things that no one sees because I don't really share them. Yeah. Um, and I'm very spontaneous. Someone can call me and be like, yo, Sam, you want to go snowboarding? So you're, bro, I've never snowboarded before. It's okay. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> go to hell right away. Fall down 15 times. Like, I, I love doing spontaneous things um, and everyone thinks I'm super boring. Yeah. Uh, they just don't know me. Good for you, man. How, what's a ritual that you have to shake the nerves before a big talk? Mm, realize that I'm the vessel. So I just tell myself I'm the vessel doesn't matter how stupid I look. Yeah. Because I'm just the conduit or the vessel for the message. Okay. doesn't matter how dumb I look doing it. Yeah. It's, it's about the message because the message is going to impact the audience. Huh. When, I, when I reframe that instead of looking at like, oh, people are going to think I look stupid, um, it, it gets me out of my head and focused on the takeaway. I needed to hear that, man. Right before this, I was at the Eaton Center thinking about this talk I have coming up on April 17th. It's like a huge talk. One of, my, one of the biggest ones I've ever done. And I was just like, I know I need to get the right blazer. Hmm. I'm like, no, like, what am I doing, man? Like this, why am I, why am I obsessing over how I'm going to appear on stage? Like just use this time and invest it in the message. Yeah. Be the fucking vessel. The vessel, man. I like that. Be the vessel. The reason I learned that is because when I started, I started out of the sheer desire to recruit volunteers. That's what my speaking was for Pickways. Just, I wanted to recruit volunteers. 
And when I choked on stage, most people would have stopped right there and never got back up again. The only reason I got back on stage is because I still needed damn volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was focused on yeah, that. And I was we'll, the vessel. Yeah. I was the vessel for the message. And then it made me realize you always just need to be the vessel for the message. Because first of all, if you try to be someone you're not on stage, Comes everyone has the quickly. everyone has the detector. They'll be like, ding, 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 this guy's full of it. Yeah. It's not it's not authentic. But if you just focus on a message and you be yourself as the vessel, it just flows. Damn, man. This is uh, exactly what I needed to hear. This this talk is happening at the perfect time. Perfect, man. man. <laughs> um, in one sentence, what would it take for people to get their shit together about the environment? Mm, um, make a decision to learn about it. Make a decision to learn about it. From a young age, we just, we just neglect it because we think it's super boring. Mm-hmm. And we grow up thinking, oh, if you're an environmentalist, you're like... You're, uh, you're, yeah. You're, so you're take just, the first step. Just educate yourself. Yeah, like look at happening. look at the facts. Look at what's happening. Yeah. Uh, turn on the news or not the news because the, the news is very yeah. biased. But like turn on real news. Yeah. Um, Watch a documentary. Or yeah. Something, man, talk to educate somebody. yourself. Yeah, educate yourself. Yeah. Love that. Uh, we're almost done here, man. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Jay Shetty. Jay Shetty. I want to talk to some people, man, and I can't do it right now. There we go. <laughs> this is a redundant question because you've already answered it. The question was, who's a mentor that changed your life? Mm. But we're going to switch this up over here, man. Who's a mentee that changed your life? Juan Martinez. Juan yeah. Marti- Martinez is your mentee. And yeah, just real quick, my how, did he, how did he change your life? Yeah, so um, he holds me accountable often. So it's funny. Sometimes you you think that being the mentor, you need to teach. I learned a, a whole ton from this kid. He is two years younger than me. The only reason we met is because when I went to Italy and I came back, I still had to take grade nine French. <laughs> so I was a year back and, and he sat beside me and we met. Didn't talk for four years. After high school finished, for some reason he hit me up and we started talking. And every morning now he comes to my house 7 a.m. We work out. I give him a book to read. We set goals every Sunday. And he's the only guy who like will literally call me midweek like three times a week and be like yo what are you doing to get your your, your goals done like are, are you still on track um and his his passion for music he loves music and he makes beats and people are telling him like he can't do that man he can't do it and he spends hours in his bedroom making music and uh when he talks about music this passion just like comes out of his face and it reminds me of like what i need to be doing um for my own stuff and so as much as i love mentoring him he's like He's an example for me too. I love that, man. That brings us to the last question in the rapid fire round, which is uh, what's the best piece of advice that you as Sam have ever received? Because you've just been given myself, Kwaku, and all the listeners just gold over here, platinum, diamond advice. Mm -hmm. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Yeah. Um, Make decisions not very often. Uh, No. Make Make decisions often, but don't change them very often. Make so, decisions very often, but don't change them very often. Yeah, so make decisions very often, but when you make a decision, don't change it much. Hmm. Um, and the reason being is because it, it forces you to really think before you make a decision if you know you're, you're not willing to change something. Right. Um, and the problem is, like, if you look at leadership or, like, these big topics, a leader is someone who makes a decision and, st- and sticks to it. Yeah. Like, I decided, I have so many people come up to me, I want to live your life. I want to do the things you're doing. I want to be a speaker. And I was like, make the decision and don't change it. Don't change it. Yeah, Make the decision, man. Make the decision and do it. And people are too afraid to do that. You need to make a decision and don't change it. If you know what you you, you want to do, make the damn decision and don't change it. Damn. That's it. That's it right there, man. If we ever get around to renaming these podcast episodes, I think this one's going to be called Make the Damn Decision. Yeah. 
Brother, we did it, man. We we banged out like an hour and a half on this podcast, Crazy. man. Way to go. Let's close this off with just sharing how it is that people can follow your adventures online, where they can get involved with Pick Waste and where they can see you speaking next. Let's let's start top to bottom, right? So you've got your own podcast, um, Small, Small Consistent, Consistent Actions. Actions. And where can people subscribe to that podcast? Yeah, on my website, on iTunes, on Stitcher, nice. on Spotify, all platforms. Awesome. Very good. And then uh, upcoming speaking gigs, man. Do you have any, any ones that are open to the public? Uh, yes, there is the Canadian Sustainability Conference. Okay. That's huge. May 14, 15. Right keynote on. speaker, Craig Kilberger. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, we. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like super excited. I want to meet him. Oh, wait a So go. that's open. Okay. Um, there's also the Spark the Change Conference, which is June 14, 15. It's about making change. Yeah. Uh, open conference. And you're going to be advertising this on your social, right? Yeah. I'm going to okay. post it all. Uh, the Encourage Me Ajax Conference, which is May 1st, I believe. Okay. Celebrating 20 change makers in the community. Very good. Open man. event. It's free. You can attend. Dude, I would love to pop by into some of these men and see you yeah, speak bro. man that'd be great I'll, I'll send you all the stuff please do yeah. Hey, yeah i'd love to see you i'd love to see you speak too man. Yeah, man um so those are a couple and there's a bunch of schools but those aren't really open okay those are the only conferences that i could think of off the top of my mind right now right on and yeah. if people want to follow you online what would be the best places to do that yeah so samdema.com my name is spelled s-a-m-d-e-m-m-a great blog over there that was going to say, yeah, I also post two blog posts a week, Tuesday, Thursday. I release three podcasts, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, so a lot of content pushed out and I post all my speaking stuff on there and videos and whatnot. So website's definitely the main ship. Mm -hmm. And then off of that, I use a lot Instagram and LinkedIn, which mm -hmm. is just Sam underscore demo on Instagram and LinkedIn, my name, Sam demo. I mean, that's it. Perfect. And what about pick waste? Where can people learn more about pick waste? Yeah. So pick waste.com. It's not pig. I had someone tell me one time, like <laughs> pig, pig waste. Pig waste? That was like, a different business model. Yeah. Different <laughs> so pick as in P I C K waste.com is the main ship. That's like the, the website. Check everything out there. We post blogs there once a week. Gotcha. Um, and then also pick waste on Instagram, pick waste on Twitter, pick waste on LinkedIn. And yeah, that's really the, the And main how spots. can people get involved with Pick Waste? So if there's any listeners out there who are like, hey, man, I like I love what Pick Waste is about. Mm. I want to get involved. I don't know how. Like, Is there a way that they can contribute yeah. from, from afar? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two options. People can come to our cleanups, um, which is like once. It's every Saturday, but we, we're changing the model a little bit and moving away from smaller Saturday events to one large monthly event with like six different community groups uh, each month and do like a big one with like 60, 70 people just so we can get the message out to a broad variety of people instead of the same followers that see us post every Saturday morning. It's a little bit of a uh, strategy as well to get the message out. Um, but in terms of <clears throat> contributing from afar, I would say like you can contribute to this cause by like educating yourself. That's like the main thing. Yeah. Like the reason we started Pick Waste is to spread awareness. And if you could, if you contribute by literally just educating yourself or becoming curious about the environment, I'll be extremely happy. Um, in terms of like tangible actions you can take, you can, you know, share our stuff on social media. We have an ambassador program uh, where you can share, like put a link in your bio to help us spread awareness. Um, yeah, uh, you can also start your own cleanup group which is an option, but sometimes it fails because people don't have the, the reason why behind it. So if you have the reason why, definitely hit me up. We'll organize it. Um, but if, if not, it's, it's no problem. I love it, brother. For all the listeners out there, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm just going to echo Sam's advice over here. Make the damn decision. Whether it's to follow him online, which you absolutely should do, get involved with Pick Waste, revisit that project that you got inspired to revisit based on this conversation over here. Just make the damn decision, and we'll catch up with you all next week. Sam, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you, Amsa. See you next week.